You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I know some of you might be wondering if J.J. Watt misses significant playing time this season. Could it be his last season in a Texans uniform? In today's show, we've got the second part of our conversation with Chronicle Texans beat writer John McClain. And I ask him about J.J. Watt's future, the backup quarterback situation, and much, much more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk Podcast. My co-host, Brian Patterson. We'll be back later this week. Thanks for jumping on the Locked On Texans podcast, your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. We got an interview for you in this one. If you missed the first part of our interview with John McClain, you'll find it in the episode right before this one. You also might want to listen to our one-on-one with Texans voice Mark Vandermeer from last week. But coming up in seconds, McClain shares thoughts on Deontay Foreman's status for this coming season. Of course, he's coming off that injury, and he tells me about Robert Brazil's reaction upon hearing his Hall of Fame selection. Very cool. Don't forget that McLean is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, so he had a lot to do with Brazil's selection. McLean also has a plaque in Canton himself, so uh, John McLean knows Canton, and he knows uh, all about what's going on with the Hall of Fame. He won the D- Dick McCann Memorial Award for long and distinguished reporting on the NFL. I know you listeners can't wait to hear from John, so let's do this. Only $2 million guaranteed for J.J. Watt next year. Uh, if he misses significant playing time this season, could this be his last in a Texans uniform? Uh, I wouldn't think he'd be in another uniform. If they cut him, they fans would burn down Energy Stadium. It's amazing to me how many people in the media ask me about Watt not being here. And I'm like, how can you even think about Watt not being here? I don't think they would cut him. I think if he missed most of three years in a row, he might retire. Yeah, that's But right. I don't think they would cut him and they wouldn't trade him. You know, he's going to be a Texan, but I could see him because he can do anything he wants. He could run for – Governor, mayor, he could run for governor of Wisconsin. He could be on TV. He can go. He can be an actor. There's so many things JJ can do. Sit on corporate boards. Uh, there he is. It's it's like I told Peyton Manning when he retired. I said you're going to have so many possibilities. That'll be the toughest decision you ever made. And he told me he said, "No, I know what I want to do. It's just when and where. I want to run a front office like John Elway is." Is Deontay Foreman, is there any possibility that he's not ready for week one? Aaron Wilson didn't think he could he could be ready possibly for week one. Yeah, Aaron told me he never wrote that because everything since we've written nothing but what they say is that he's going to be ready before week one. I keep saying the Houston Chronicle reported this, and I never saw it. And I asked Aaron, did you write that? And he told me no. And uh, so every indication from Bill O'Brien, Brian Gain, everybody else, he'll be ready for the first game. But I'll tell you this, when it comes to an Achilles rupture and surgery, you can't guarantee anything. And so it wouldn't, even though they say he's going to be back, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't need more time because that is a serious injury, especially for a running back or wide receiver. Is there a quarterback that, out there that you think they could seriously consider before the start of the season because we've seen them pick up a quarterback uh, later in the game before and Brandon Whedon doesn't exactly 
uh, exude confidence am- amongst uh, a lot of the people that have watched Whedon over the years. No, well, he, the people watched him the last time he played. I don't. He had three touchdowns passing, one rushing. He had a 107 rating, and he didn't throw an interception. But he hadn't played the last two years, which is not his fault because he was uh, on teams that he was third on the depth chart in Tennessee. I can't remember. Um, yeah, last season he was here. He he didn't play his last year here. So um, Bill O'Brien likes him. They see him in ways we don't. I know, and and he's been running the first team all through the all season program when they went to eleven on eleven drills. So O'Brien likes him. If there was some good quarterback, but good quarterbacks don't become available. What about um, this uh, the new helmet rule? <laughs> Any guess on how it could change what we see on the field? This season, I'm wondering if the if the first couple of weeks might be a slow motion replay nightmare that slows down the action to the point of maybe being unbearable for a lot of fans as they try to figure this thing I out. I don't think they'll do it that way, Robert. I think there'll be kind of a grace period. According to the NFL, when they made those rule changes at the NFL meetings, they said, based on this new rule, there's only two players would have been ejected last year. And they showed video, and of course they would have been. It was clearly dirty play using your helmet as a weapon. The problem is it's tough because of the officials. They have these strict rules about it, but it's still subjective. Intent, how can you gauge intent? You have to look, and I think it could slow down the replay because a guy ducking his head at the last minute. Offensive and defensive linemen have clashed helmet to helmet for decades, and now I think maybe – the linemen might go like college and be in a two-point stance all the time, so they're not firing off the ball with their with their helmet, risking a penalty or being ejected. And it's all designed, of course, from concussions, and that's because they don't want to end up paying more money to players who are con- had head trauma. So, is it? it r- there have been a lot of rules in the 40 years I've covered the league that people go, oh "My God, I can't believe they're doing this!" Like in '78 when they changed it to five-yard chuck rule, offensive linemen could extend their hands, and people are like, this is the end of defense as we know. It'll never be the same. Players and coaches adapt. What about this uh, new kickoff rule? It, it seems like it, it's there's going to be more of an emphasis on quickness and speed as opposed to big, burly guys on the kickoff. Is that the way you see it? And, and could, we, could we have more big returns uh, with the way things are, are, are looking for, you know, kind of how it's designed right now? I think that's accurate, Robert. I think the problem is they want to prevent high-speed collisions and injuries, but you've invited more returns. And so why would you do that? I don't think they'll eliminate the kickoff anytime soon. That might cost you a coach cost you some jobs. The NFLPA would go crazy. But I do think you're not going to have linemen. There's no two-man wedge. A wedge is like a shield for the return guy. I think now you might keep an extra receiver, extra linebacker, tight end, running back, anybody that can excel on coverage based on what you said about them being quicker. And also if those guys um, – can be quick enough to get in people's way on returns. And some teams will be better on it early. The really well-coached teams will take advantage and find ways to take advantage, and others will fall in line. The Texans have Brad Seeley as their new quarterback coach. This is his 30th year in the NFL. They're his eighth team to be a special teams coordinator coach, and his best tenure was 10 years 
with the Patriots where he won three Super Bowl rings. Ted Johnson was with him. Ted swears about how great of a coach he is. And then to get more money, he went to Cleveland with Eric Mangini. That was a mistake. And he's bounced around ever since. But, uh, you know, maybe he can do for the Texans what Larry Izzo and um, Bob Legashevsky could not do since Bill O'Brien became the head coach. Three special teams coaches in five years, that's not a good sign. Before we continue, John, let me remind our listeners that if you're enjoying Locked On Texans, please tell your friends. Let them know they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, most anywhere you're going to find your favorite podcast. If you'd like to check out more podcasts from our national Locked On Network, go to LockedOnSports.com. That's LockedOnSports.com. This all leads up to this. The, the Texans as a Super Bowl team, if Deshaun Watson stays healthy, and that's, of course, that's always going to be if you can talk about any quarterback in the NFL. But if he stays healthy, when you look at what they've done as far as adding one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL, they've add, added one of the best uh, heads of their training staff in the NFL this year. The, the secondary should be light years better with, you know, the additions of Ty Matthew and Aaron Colvin and, and maybe what Justin Reed can add. Uh, you, you might have helped out your wide receiving core a lot if Kiki Cutie is look, is, looks as good as he does and maybe Wolf Fuller can stay healthy. And, you know, obviously you still have DeAndre Hopkins. And so it's just a matter of maybe a li- you're a little concerned about the offensive line. But to me, you look at all the factors and this, this absolutely looks like it's a Super Bowl team. Well, I'm not using Super Bowl Texas in the same sentence, but the, you did that. But you're right. But that's a lot of ifs. One of the reasons they hired Luke Richardson from Denver and gave him a lot of money and carte blanche, and the McNairs have spent millions on them adding extra positions and redoing everything over there, uh, including the cafeteria, bringing in a new nutritionist, and Richardson's overall that is trying to get players. You can't do anything for broken bones, but soft tissue injuries, that's what they're trying to prevent. And one of the things I liked about Richardson, every player had an individual program. He met with every player three or four times during the off-season program. And then they had a position program by linebackers and DBs. And and so uh, if they don't do something right, he makes them do it again and then again and again and again until they get that, that exercise or lift correct. And O'Brien says discipline. He said, we weren't as disciplined last year. We committed too many penalties. Well, I would say that's because you're playing guys that aren't, shouldn't even be in the NFL because of 20 players on IR, including 13 starters. But he said it's discipline, and discipline starts in the weight room. So that's one reason they're so fired up about Luke Richardson. And players I've talked to, like J.J. Watt, just swear by the guy. But the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the season, and we'll see if they had – Fewer injuries. Last year at Seattle and New England, Deshaun Watson put them in a position to win the game, and the defense blew it both times. And in both of those games, in New England, O'Brien kicked a field goal, and then uh, Brady took him to a late touchdown. And then in Seattle, they went for it on a play, and, and nobody's ever said this publicly, but Watson blew the call and handed it to Miller when he should have kept it. And so this year, they'll be, I think, Watson wants the ball in his hands when they need to make a big play. And I think with it's fourth and one at a reasonable spot, like on the other side of the midfield, you'll see him going for it more because of him. 
And I think if it's third and one, you're not going to see him handing the ball to Miller. I think you'll see Watson doing an option to whether he could run or pass, putting pressure on the defense that way because O'Brien knows what Watson can do and what he's capable of. So I think there'll be a more exciting offense. 39 points a game in his last five starts, 34 in his six starts, 40.5 points a game when he played with Fuller and Hopkins. And I just think there's no way he can be as great as he was uh, that he'll come back down to earth. But, you know, if they only average 30 points a game, the key is the defense. Uh, Can they bounce back? Can Watt stay healthy? Can they bounce back and be a – Dominant defense, not just in yards, but turnovers. They were nearly dominant without J.J. Watt the they, year before well, that. Well, they were real good. They were number one in yards, but they gave up too many points, and they didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't have touchdowns. You know, a great defense doesn't give up points, yards, and scores some touchdowns and affects field position. That's what this defense need to do, and it's certainly capable of. Uh, but – They've got everything in place to be really good. And on paper, Robert, they play the easiest schedule in the league. Tried to walk you to the Super Bowl, but uh, – <laughs> Ask me a year from now. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't bite. want to ask you one last thing, and I want to go over to the, to the NFL Hall of Fame. And, and this is the last Houston Oiler that is going to get in the Hall of Fame with, with Robert Brazil going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, what's it going to mean for you to see him – into the Hall of Fame. I, I know you've wanted him for a long time to be there. And what's it going to be like to have this really – it's it's the last celebration of the Oilers on a national stage in Canton, Ohio. Well, I can tell you this, Robert. If we ever on the committee start putting in return people, then I'll be pushing for Billy White Shoes Johnson like crazy. As it is, we've never done that. Devin Hester doesn't have a chance? Uh, well, think. no, he, he did have a chance. But if we put Devin Hester in there, I'll be pushing – for white shoes on the on the veterans committee, the seniors committee, and um, Robert kept getting close. And the the format is there's nine of us on the veterans committee. We go to Canton every year in mid August, uh, a rotation of five of us. And under a rule we changed four years ago that instead of used to be one senior, then it was two. Then we decided contributors. Need a category for all non-players and coaches. I thought, still do, coaches should be in a contributors category. More of them would get in because it's hard to vote for a coach uh, when you have so many worthy players. And so um, one year we do one senior, two contributors, then two seniors and one contributor on a rotating basis. And after five years, we'll revisit the contributors category, and I'm sure we'll keep it. So – Robert, when we do one, would finish second. Do two, he finished third. And every year I'd leave Kent and drive him back to Cleveland to get on a plane to come back here, and I'd call him, tell him what happened. I just felt awful. He was so upbeat, so nice, so classy, which made me feel worse. And then um, last year in my presentation to the seniors committee, they had, t- I, they had told me that it was Brazil's time. You know, the year before, Ron Wolf. uh was there. They always bring in two Hall of Famers as consultants for us. And Ron Wolf had told him after Kenny Easley, next guy on that list ought to be in is Robert Brazil. And Art Shell and Carl Eller were the seniors this year. And Carl never played against Robert, but Art played nine games. And so after I made that presentation, I always told Robert what the presentation was going to be to see if he wanted me to add or eliminate anything. 
So I had told him, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to get it this year. So here's a three-hour window for you to be by the phone. He said, okay. So they, and we don't know. We vote, it was, usually it's 15 finalists. This year it was 21 because it ties. So we discussed 21 players. With Five of us did with Art Shell and Carl Eller. And we asked them to give votes for four being the highest, one being the lowest about uh, where they should be in the Hall of Fame. And and uh, so they eliminated 21 to 15, 15, 10, 10, 5. And I knew Robert was going to get in the five, but I didn't know he was going to be one of the final two until they told us the last vote. And I reached over and put my arm around Art Shell's neck and started hugging him. I said, if I could, I'd kiss you. And so they call Jerry Kramer, who we put him in. Nothing was ever said, let's put Jerry Kramer in there. That's just the way we voted. Why in the world took so long for Jerry Kramer well, to Well, because there are so many Packers and there are so many other great players. And, um, and one of the things that's influential to me is we have access to every word that's been said in every meeting by those two Hall of Famers are brought in there. Like everything last year at Art Show and Carl Eller said will be in the will be in that uh, guide that we get next year. And I always look at that. I want to know what the players thought, that the coaches that played against somebody, not what the players that played with them or coached them thought because they're going to be biased. So they call Robert, phone rings three times, and I'm like, where in the world are you? He picks it up on the fourth one, and David Baker, president of Hall of Fame, goes, Robert, and he goes, oh, he just starts crying. <laughs> Robert, this is David Baker. Oh, I know. <laughs> and he's just crying like crazy. And he just can't stop. And and I said, Robert, quit crying. I need some quotes. I got to I gotta get something <laughs> in. So he's like, oh. <laughs> so I said, after they talked to him, I said, I'm going to go outside and call you. And so I interviewed him. And when I got to the Cleveland airport, I interviewed him wrote a story and filed it. He was so excited. That's why I see a guy like T.O. doesn't want to be there. Good. That makes the ceremony shorter. Don't come. And that, and also I think Robert, who just every day gets up so excited, he's going to get to go to Canton and be inducted in the Hall of Fame after 34 years. And Jerry Kramer, who waited 44, will no longer be famous as the most deserving Hall of Famer who's not in the Hall of Fame. John, I want to ask you about comparisons that some have made between Robert Brazil and the legendary Lawrence Taylor. But first, let me remind our listeners that if you haven't already, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, email us at LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. If you forget any of that, go to the show description of each podcast. All of it is right there for you. We want your voice to be a part of the conversation. So email LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. That's LockedOnTexans at mail.com when you saw lawrence taylor did you think that that was the next version of what what robert was at the time i'll tell you something um kenny houston and joe delamalure who were seniors came to the seniors meeting a few years ago during a break started talking about brazil i wanted the other guys in there to know what they thought. And Kenny goes, well, you know, he was LT before LT. And a lot of the guys that watched, played against Robert or watched him would say that. People, they go, oh, man, there's nobody close to Lawrence Taylor. And so Delamalier agreed. And so last year, no, th- after the, no, this year, I asked, I was talking to Elvin Bethay, and I told him what Kenny Houston, Joe Delamalier said. And he goes, that's true. He was, he was LT before LT. 
And I said, man, I wish I could get Lawrence Taylor to ask him about that. And he goes, well, you want me to get his number for you? And I said, sure. So I didn't go to Canton because I was at training camp and uh, for the induction ceremony. And I forgot about it, and I figured Taylor wasn't going to do it. And, and a couple of days after the induction, uh, Elvin calls said, here's uh, Lawrence Taylor's number. He said he'd be happy to talk to you. So I text him and don't even ask him to call me. He calls me back immediately. Turns out uh, Brazil was his idol. And Lawrence Taylor told his agent, Kenny, uh, Kenny Burrow's brother, Gene, that he would not sign with him unless he could introduce him. So Gene got Robert, and they went to Chapel Hill. This was before the draft, and he introduced him. And and uh, and he, he told me, and this is what I used in both presentations, he said, he inspired me. He made me want to be great. He was me before me. And I think that's that was the last thing I said in both of my presentations. And um, so people don't see that because they don't see all the sacks because, number one, they didn't keep them. But, number two, Robert was so good in coverage. A lot of times he's covering wide receivers. I gave him a list of all the wide receivers and athletic tight ends he had to cover plus running backs. And people were kind of amazed that a guy as big as he was could do that. And I had a testimonial from Ted Thompson, who was his backup, and captain of the special teams, how Robert played on every special team as well. So uh, I'm so happy for him, Robert. It's going to be incredible. Uh, he's he's so pumped up. It's going to be a big love you blue party. The night of his induction, Amy Adams Strunk is picking up the tab, and I can't wait for his moment. Yeah, I hope people that are watching understand a little bit more, maybe remember a little bit more about the, the Oilers and, and it's a, the one last chance to maybe make a – little piece of the their memory uh, as far as uh, what the Oilers meant. And, and, well, they and can Google they them, and they can find see all those great plays those guys made. I never get tired of watching Earl Campbell's greatest runs. And when I go to Canton, I go into the uh, hall, and I push a button, and I watch Earl's great runs on the screen. I saw them all, but I never get tired of seeing them. Well, thanks for all the Oilers fans to make sure that, that Robert uh, finally got his shot in Canton. We're so excited. And, and thanks for doing this. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, not only uh, the, all the knowledge of 40 years, but, you know, you've always been one of the, the best guys uh, as far as I'm concerned in the media room and always uh, love Thank seeing you, you every day. My pleasure. Anytime. I always enjoy doing it. Take care. That was part two of my conversation with Chronicle Texans beat writer, John McClain, the legend, the general. You guys know him. You've been following the Texans for years. You know John and Brian and I. We might have a little reaction to what John had to say in an upcoming podcast. So keep our shows coming as you're enjoying the summer travel season. Time to wrap things up for this show. Don't forget, Brian's got it all covered. Everything in Houston sports on House of Houston, a fan site affiliate. Houseofhouston.com is the place to go. My Houston Sports Talk podcast, easy to find on iTunes and most anywhere you listen to your podcast, Locked On Rockets host Ben Dubose dropped by Sunday, and we got into the upcoming free agency, LeBron James, of course, and the Rockets draft picks. Don't forget that he'll keep you in the loop on his regular Locked On Rockets podcast. You're not going to want to miss it if LeBron is coming to Houston or if he's going to L.A. or if Paul George is thinking about Houston. Ben's going to be all over it in the next couple of weeks. That's all we got for this Locked On Texans podcast, as always, thanks for making us a part of your week.
You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh. 